0: The opportunity to immerse oneself in a musical experience, whether as a performer or a listener, it just brings your, your being into a different place. is different than the sort of very focused rationality that we often spend most of our time uh, during the day, mm-hmm. uh, solving problems and figuring out little daily tasks. And then suddenly you're transported out of that. I did my best. It wasn't much couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. I've told the truth, I didn't come to fool ya. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord in song with nothing on my lips but hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah seems apropos when we think of rejoicing in discovery and creativity, both of which relate to that interwoven relationship of art and science. You were just listening to National Institutes of Health Director Dr. Francis Collins singing alongside critically acclaimed opera singer Renee Fleming with the National Symphony Orchestra. Dr. Collins is indeed a rock star of science who was instrumental in the identification of multiple genes for hereditary disease, including cystic fibrosis, Huntington's disease, and neurofibromatosis. He led the Human Genome Project in the 1990s that resulted in the mapping of the entire human genome sequence in 2003. In 2009, he was nominated by President. President Obama to be Director of the National Institutes of Health, with unanimous confirmation by the Senate. Since that time, Dr. Collins has boosted research efforts in Alzheimer's disease, innovative brain science, set the stage for precision medicine, and many other areas. I had the great honor to sit down with Dr. Collins and talk about scientific surprises and musical exploration, about the importance of collaboration and listening, and about how music, family, and spirituality seem to travel in similar circles. From his love of the multidisciplinary team, including the works of Dylan, Aerosmith, and Beethoven, Francis Collins takes it all in. And from his own lips, brings it all together and preaches, you have to hear the music and not just read the notes on the page. So here is our conversation with Dr. Francis Collins, recorded at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. This, this comes with... Uh built-in support system right here. It's, it's not a light microphone, <laughs> yeah, so I, I get a little bit of, you know, bicipital <laughs> tendinitis. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Collins, for being here.
0: Glad to be with you for this little exploration.
1: We're here in, at your place. We're here at the NIH in this really beautiful conference room. Yep, you came um, to my house. I somehow sat at the head of the, head of the table. I didn't mean to be presumptuous. But, uh, That's quite all right. It's, you're welcome to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an honor to be here on many levels, from a physician point of view, as a musician, as someone who I think is preaching to the choir, so to speak, about how music brings us together and you've had uh, certainly a history of a love for music. Science and music come together in very special ways. The creativity that we all sort of take for granted in songwriting and performance, when you hear about creativity and improvisation, how does that play out in the lab for you? I think you're right that science and music tend to
0: segregate together in a lot of people's lives. The number of scientists who are interested in music, who are performers, instrumentalists, uh, is certainly outside the boundaries of expectation by sort of random statistics. So there's something about the brain's function that draws some of us in both of these uh, interesting directions. And it is something about innovation and creativity and improvisation. Mm Uh, For me as a scientist, the most exciting moments uh, in science are when something unexpected happens. Unexpected but also intriguing. Something that you can imagine maybe wasn't heard before and now you're hearing it or seeing it. And to be able to take part in that, to create that. For me also, I find, especially nowadays, that science has become sort of a team sport Mm-hmm. Music for me has often been a team sport as well and to be able to do science with a bunch of other like-minded people is inspiring just as being in a musical group like my current rock and roll band which has no less than 11 people in it it's mm-hmm. it's it's something that you can't really quite describe if you haven't experienced it this opportunity to do things collectively to make yourself part of an innovative gathering of brains and skills that's pretty amazing and i think it does carry over pretty closely between science and music
1: we talk about on this podcast several times with jazz musicians about listening you get to a point in your career as a professional musician or someone that can read each other in a room read each other on stage whether you're pro or not pro but the beauty of listening is so much more important than the preaching and listen to me how is the listening factor also in the in the lab manifested
0: that's a great question you can't really work in team science if it's all about you it's got to be about what everybody is bringing to the table. And especially if it's an interdisciplinary effort where people have different skills and maybe speak different languages,
1: different instruments, different
0: instruments. Yes. As you might say, and maybe even in a circumstance, uh, different genres where you don't immediately quite understand each other. A classical violinist sits down next to a jazz guitarist. And for the first little while, it might not go too well, but then you begin to understand if you listen, uh, what each other is bringing to that interaction likewise if you sit down with a geneticist across from a computer scientist and next to them is a robot expert these days they begin to understand each other but they didn't always mm. they now have a pretty good you know string quartet but maybe at the beginning it sounded kind of bad the only way you get there is by listening and by being sure that every contribution has a way of finding its self into the whole, so that it Becomes part of something that couldn't have happened otherwise.
1: In a sense, you, uh, I think I heard Renee Fleming put it very nicely that uh, with your team here are conducting a symphony of researchers. <laughs> um, I think the analogies could go on and on. And you have to perform. There's rehearsal and there's mm-hmm. performance and mm-hmm. there's pitfalls, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Take me back to some earlier music in your life. Mm. Your mom and dad, very musical. Is that correct?
0: Dad, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, immersed in music from the time I was born, which was a great gift. My dad was a folk song collector. If you go to the Library of Congress and look uh-huh. for what was collected in the late 30s, early 40s, um, in terms of the American folk collection, you'll see a lot of Fletcher Collins' contributions huh. right huh. up there next to Alan Lomax, uh, who he knew very well. They were sort of rivals. Of uh-huh. Who was going to collect that song? Holly, you can- And my dad reinvented himself several times in the course of his life. He'd started out as a classical violinist, Mm -hmm. but also, yeah, he was a quite good uh, violinist who then retaught himself to be a fiddler uh, when Mm. he encountered the wonderful music of Appalachia when he was working for Eleanor Roosevelt in West Virginia during the Depression. And later on became an expert in 12th century liturgical music drama that hadn't been produced uh, since then, and which he put on the stage, uh, bringing to life uh, some of these amazingly beautiful but simple productions uh, that used to decorate Christmas and Easter celebrations in abbeys in the Loire Valley, just because he could. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) that meant he was Integrating himself with a whole crowd of musicians of different genres, and I got the chance uh, as a family member uh, to take part in all of that
1: you had brothers as well i'm so. the youngest
0: of four brothers and all of the brothers have musical they uh, do abilities oh. otherwise they would have had nothing to do after dinner because <laughs> what right. you did in our farmhouse was you played music there was no television so if you wanted to have anything
1: to contribute you better figure yeah. out how to find an instrument
0: that you can play
1: so the collins would would jam together on a after dinner or that would happen. take out a couple of uh, guitars and some percussion yeah, and my one brother played the
0: banjo yeah. and uh i learned keyboard first on a mm. pump organ mm. that my parents had bought which i now have in my living room a 1925 uh made in high point north carolina you wow. had to pump with your feet to yeah. get the bellows yeah. uh blown up so you could actually make noise and huh. I, Dad built stilts on those pumps so I could reach them when I was four years old and start to learn <laughs> right. how to find no notes. No excuse not to play, Francis, yeah, right. right. Find it out. Figure out—pick out a tune. Figure out what notes sound good together and what huh. don't. Um, that got me off on a path of a loving the opportunity both to listen but also to participate, to create, to make stuff hmm. up. I was composing
1: things by the time I was five. Hmm. They weren't good, mind you, but I was yeah, composing but your, things. Your 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 brain was, um, you know. Now we have the benefit of of putting our brains in fMRI scanners or, or EEG technology. But if we were to look at a young Francis Collins' brain at that point, we'd probably see some new arbor, arborizations into different areas. I think
0: for sure we would, because yeah.
1: I was one of those
0: kids who, before age seven, was using musical experience a lot, and that yeah. does, as we know, result in permanent changes, uh, and I would say in a good way, in your brain yeah. by the opportunity to build those circuits.
1: Back to uh, Virginia, your parents' place. Didn't a guy, uh, Bob Zimmerman, show up one day? (laughs) He did.
0: Yeah, because my dad had all these connections with folk singers, and occasionally somebody would show up with some new up-and-coming talent in tow for my dad to listen to. Up-and-coming,
1: yeah. And
0: uh, here it was, uh, one rainy evening. This uh, sullen kid who was actually turning 18 that very evening uh, was the one who my dad was supposed to check out. I was probably like 11 or 12, sort of sitting in the corner listening, and I thought, this one has no chance of ever going anywhere. <laughs> he's a terrible voice. Uh, he's a bad attitude. He's very sullen. His guitar playing is nothing special. I don't even know why we're here. Of course, that was Bob Dylan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and of course, he does have a terrible voice, and his guitar <laughs> playing is nothing special. But I guess he had
1: some talent there. Yeah, he had something there. <laughs>
0: and critics who prophesy with your pen.
1: So you know it's 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 interesting because we we talk now about STEAM instead of STEM. You know my kids are 13 and almost 11 now, and the A has really gotten into the acronym mm-hmm. for the arts mm-hmm. for education. Indeed. And uh, I wonder, at, so, so from your perspective, you know, as director of NIH, I know that you have many studies going on in what 20 seven divisions. 27
0: institutes and centers, you got Um,
1: it. You know, there's a lot of of incredible science going on here, but the scientists have to get there somehow. And you wonder about the arts and music and to what extent that's important.
0: We definitely have opportunity and maybe even responsibility in this space. (laughs) If music is an important opportunity in childhood especially, to engage uh, in a fashion that's going to have lifelong positive benefits. Maybe we need more data about that, particularly as musical education seems to be getting removed uh, from many of the public schools, considered as sort of a frill.
1: Right. I don't have to tell you data speaks. It does. So So
0: what's our effort in that regard? We now have this uh, remarkably energetic working group on music and the brain. Uh, involving institute members from most of those 27 entities uh, led by um, uh, neurologist expertise and um, complementary medicine expertise and all kinds of other things, trying to figure out both what could we be sure we understand about the effective role of music in brain development, but also in music therapy uh, for interventions for a wide variety of conditions from autism to PTSD to strokes, where music seems to provide benefit, but a lot of it is presently fairly anecdotal, and we needed to figure out how to make this more rigorous.
1: To have the people like Ben Folds, um, Mickey Hart, yeah. uh, Renee Fleming— Yeah. They're almost uh, translators. They get both sides, I think.
0: And that has been a wonderful part of this, is being able to link up with performers. uh, And particularly, I have to say everything I possibly can about Renee, about how wonderful Mm. she's been as Mm. a partner in this effort. She is totally immersed in this. Now Mm. when she goes off to give a concert, she often starts off with a little tutorial (laughs) about what's happening in neuroscience. And uh, makes herself available for all of these interactions. Uh, She'll be here in May uh, for the annual cultural lecture, which Mm. was going to be a standing room only. Talking about this whole experience from her performance perspective of how learning about neuroscience, uh, singing while lying in an MRI scanner, (laughs) has added to her experience, but immeasurably to all the rest of us because of her ability to articulate why this matters.
1: I know you're a, a man of strong faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm uh, m- more practicing my older years now, now that I have kids, um, Judaism. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, my kids were, were learning more Hebrew in, in the synagogue, and I, part of my brain was going back to when I was a kid, learning the chants, learning the the communal songs, And then when we go into the temple together, we chant these same songs that we all grow up on. There's something meditative Mm. about it. So I I wondered, those two worlds of of the arts and music have a strong connection to faith as well. And and, uh, I see you as someone that's just prolific in your career as a scientist, but Hmm. a real advocate and—well, I shouldn't say advocate, but someone who's so aware— of the spiritual side, mm-hmm. and uh, drilling down a little bit more on the aspect of music and spirituality. I think you're
0: right on target uh, that that connection is very strong uh, for lots of us, including me, uh, that the opportunity to immerse oneself in a musical experience, whether as a performer or a listener. It just brings your your being into a different place uh, that is different than the sort of very focused rationality that we often spend most of our time uh, during the day uh, mm. solving problems and figuring out uh, little daily tasks and then suddenly you're transported out of that mm. uh, if you're uh, listening to the second movement of the Eroica, for instance, uh, which just lifts you into a place of profound reflection on much deeper concepts. Or, Or the mass in B minor or whatever it is that has particularly captured your ear. It is difficult to just dismiss that as the firing of a bunch of random neurons that create some sort of um, release of dopamine. I'm sure there's some of that going on. In (laughs) fact, that's been well documented. When you get a chill from listening to music, well, you just dumped a bunch of dopamine in your ventral striatum. Okay, fine. But it's more than that. You can't As Polkinghorn says, you can't dismiss this remarkable sense of beauty uh, from music or from Mm. a patch of pink in the sky at sunset as some sort of epiphenomenal froth on the surface of an uncaring universe. It seems much more significant than Mm. that. And if that brings us in touch uh, with the part of us that is less materialistic and more spiritual, well, hooray for that. I long for that. I embrace that. In my own faith experiences that have been most profound often have engaged in some way with music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not necessarily solitary music, but music as a corporate event. Uh, if I'm in a church where the congregation likes to sing <laughs> and they pick a song that people can really join in on, mm-hmm. I'm just lifted out of my pew. It's like a whole other right. experience of a glimpse of something. I guess the thing that C.S. Lewis calls joy, that sense of something that you long for, you grasp it for a moment, you wish you had it all the time, but you're not quite sure what to call it. Music yeah. can do that.
1: Yeah, Oliver Sacks, I think, mentioned that it was uh, a tonic or an orange juice to the ear. I have a quote somewhere. <laughs> I, I botched it. but um, And you mentioned something about faith in music. I, I saw a quote of yours, uh, something to the effect of that we need to hear Music, not just read the notes on the page. Well, for sure. How inspired. So, so that's listening. Indeed. How, how inspired can you be by
0: staring at the sheet music, trying to imagine what it sounds like? If you're really experienced, you probably can kind of guess or even imagine three or four counterpoint melodies running together in your head, but then you actually listen to it it's profoundly more significant. It transports you. It's not a mathematical
1: exercise. Yeah. It's, it's communication, I think, is in the hearing and listening rather than the one-way street. Indeed. I can't help but mention there's a colleague of mine, Dr. Lisa Wong. She was became a mentor for me in music and medicine. And she mentioned the story of Brahms and Billroth. So Bill Roth was a surgeon, right? We know about the Bill Roth procedures in yeah. medical school. And he was a good buddy of Brahms. And so this was the the mid uh, to late 1800s. And so Bill Roth was actually a prolific um, pianist. And so he would review Brahms scores. And and Brahms would go over Bill Roth's scientific papers. And he named, I think, Opus 50 or 51 was called Bill Roth. (laughs) But he had a quote that I thought you'd appreciate. Bill Roth said somewhere around 1880, It is one of the superficialities of our time to see in science and in art two opposites. Imagination is the mother of both. But I think people have been saying Mm. that for centuries, that they go together.
0: Yes. Or decrying the fact that they seem to have slipped apart. C.P. Snow and the two cultures comes to mind. Certainly people could look at today and say that the arts community and the science community uh, sometimes seem um, not together and maybe even a little threatened by each other mm. but boy what a loss that is when we don't have a chance to take advantage of the synergies because that's where the sparks really fly we're researching baby finding things you should know we're working so hard but we still need let go i oh, said so baby please stop messing around you're messing around all the time
1: Yes, the singer and guitar player you just heard is our guest, Dr. Francis Collins, performing with Mr. Joe Perry of Aerosmith, and Boston's own Dr. Rudy Tanzi on the blues harmonica. It was a true pleasure to meet with Dr. Collins, and we greatly appreciate his time and thoughtful insights on the not-so-disparate worlds of science and music. We would like to thank Emma Vojkovic and the NIH staff for your hospitality and making this conversation possible. Now, for an ATB NIH exclusive, an original blues by Dr. Francis Collins performed live at building number one on a one of a kind Hussan Dalton guitar with a custom double helix pattern mother of pearl inlay from headstock to fretboard. Here's a song from a guy that has just a little experience in not only the genetic story of us all, but those pesky diseases that just don't care.
0: All right, so this is a song uh, written for a TED Med event, but You've got to write a song that's appropriate for the NIH director? Well, it's kind of got to be about something medical, but it also ought to be not too stiff. Well, you can decide how I did. Disease don't care if you're black or white. Disease don't care if you're left or right Disease don't care if you're rich or poor Disease will find a way to come knocking at your door So come on people, won't you join me please Let's get it all together now and knock out disease Disease don't care if you're old or young Disease don't care about your mother tongue. Disease don't care about your life's pursuit. You can wear a hoodie or a three piece suit. So come on, people, won't you join me, please? Let's get it all together now and knock out disease. Let's knock it out. Disease don't care if you're first in the class Disease don't care if you came in last Disease don't care if you're an R or a D Disease don't even care if your party is T So come on people, won't you join me please Let's get it all together now and I got disease So it's pretty clear that we're all at risk For cancer and stroke and ruptured discs If you don't want to be a left in the lurch Your very best hope is health research Disease don't care if you're a big movie star Disease don't care if you live in your car Disease don't care if you just go with the flow Disease don't even care if you're a CEO So come on people, won't you join me please? all together now and I got disease. So come on people, won't you join me please?
1: Please go to AboveTheBasement.com, where you can join us on Patreon, sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Chuck and myself, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. Hey there. Yeah, you, listening. Thanks so much for uh, your time today listening to this podcast. Chuck and I wanted to appeal to you to subscribe to our podcast. So it's really easy, and there's many good reasons to subscribe to us, but we'll tell you just two of them. One, you never have to check to see if we have a new episode, as they just automatically are listed right on your podcast app so it's pretty cool secondly, it doesn't cost you anything so just go to abovethebasement.com slash subscribe where we have links to the major podcast apps including iTunes, Stitcher, Radio Public and more there are instructions there on how to subscribe or you can just click on one of the subscribe buttons if you already have a podcast app on your iPhone for the most part, you can just open the app and you will see a magnifying glass on the interface just tap on it and type in Above the Basement you should see us right at the top there And hit the subscribe button and you are done. And while you're there, please write a nice review. Subscribes and reviews in the podcast universe, as you may know, are an important piece to reaching more and more listeners. So please take just 15 to 20 seconds and help spread the word all about Above the Basement.